Well, welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Ferrario Face-Off. Alex Ferrario, pre- and post-game host for the St. Louis Blues here with you. We got my good buddy, Mike Claiborne, and finally back to talking hockey after welcoming our, our first child into the world, Claves. And I got to tell you, what a moment, what an experience, but it's nice to get back and start talking some hockey again. The first of many kids, I would think. Yeah, well, you ask my wife now, going through the pain of post-birth, this will be the only be, That'll be one and done. Yeah, yep. I, I know the feeling. Well, congratulations. The, uh, it's nothing like having a girl. I've, I've been blessed to have two of yeah. them, and I always say I was born to be around beautiful women. Yep. Oh, man, and I feel the exact same way. And it's amazing how they steal your heart the moment you get to meet them, Claves. When mm -hmm. she when she came out of her mom and, and when they moved her over to that little heating area and they have you come by and stand next to her, the moment they grasp onto your finger, it's like, yep, you can have whatever yep. you want, whatever yeah, exactly. you want it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take two of them if you need it. Doesn't, yep. doesn't bother me. Exactly. Well, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah. The St. Louis Blues team has been on the road, and it hasn't gone the way I thought it should. I think I told you before we went, before you went off, they had to go four and two on this road trip. Yeah, and even though they're picking up points in overtime, there were some games that shouldn't even go to that. Yeah, I mean, you frankly, you start with that first game against the San Jose Sharks, the game that you really didn't need to win, and I was hoping that was going to be the the rally cry for the team that they did win. Of course, Bennington with his exit antics, which I loved, by the way. But from there, you went to play the Anaheim Ducks, and look, we all can agree, Anaheim is not a good team, but they good made players, it, but not a good team. Correct. They they made Anaheim look better than what they truly are, though. And then from there, you move on to L.A. Both games very close. You lose the one where you had a lead. And then you wrap up with the San Jose Sharks, a team that you really should beat, but you allow them to get back into the hockey games. And as excited and proud as I would be as a Blues fan of the fact that they went on that road trip and they took 10 of 12 points, because that's a good thing. There are also areas that continue to plague this team, whether it be defensive issues, goaltending issues, struggling with offense. It, it hasn't clicked to the point where you're like, this is a Stanley Cup contending team. It more so feels like the team that we saw enter the bubble of a team that's confident, a team that has the ability, but it's also a team that sits there and says, well, we're still waiting for it to click. Well, I think it starts – I know when you look at the numbers, you say, well, they're giving up more goals than they're scoring. But I think it really comes down to the lack of commitment from the forwards. Uh, you know, they're not not—they're not going hard to the net offensively. Um, they think they can score on the perimeter. The other thing is they don't come back defensively. They don't deny passes in the passing lanes. They don't make guys stop and start. Hence, it puts pressure on the defense who finds themselves out of position because somebody else didn't come back and, and do their job. And, and I think when you look at that, I think the lack of commitment from the forwards and the turnovers that the forwards are committing, not only uh, in the neutral zone, but certainly in their own end are, are, are so glaring that, you know, it, it's become a real problem. And I know at one point Zach Sanford was the whipping boy for that, but there've been some other guys who have not been good in their own end and I think when you have forwards who aren't committed, it makes everybody else look bad. Throw in the fact that goaltending has been average, uh, where I think Bennington and Huso have been good for giving up a bad one every night. And sometimes it's a bad one early, but a lot of times it's been a bad one late. And I think that's one of the reasons why when you look at this road trip, you say to yourself, man, they could have been a lot better. Yeah, well, and let's start with the goaltending claves because, look, you know, 
Billy Huso starts that last game against the San Jose Sharks. And of course, the first game of the road trip was Jordan Bennington getting pulled and Billy Huso kind of coming through with the whim. I think it's a telling sign in terms of Craig Berube's mindset. And I know what he said afterwards of, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure Ville got some games in on this road trip and we have a planned out schedule. But look, Ville played three of those six games and started two of them. I think that's a telling sign in terms of maybe the goaltending is not where they thought it was going to be at this point, And it's still some kind of brushing up. Now, I never blame solely the goaltender because, of course, it's a team effort. But it does make you a little bit concerned that you saw Bennington, four of those, pulled in one, and then you saw Ville Husso start in two of those. Yeah, and, and, you know, Bennington, I think he's been average this year. You know, the, the whole thing in San Jose where, you know, here, here's a guy that's 165 pounds and, and his antics, and you call them antics, and I agree because I don't think it scared anybody. I think maybe uh, San Jose was more amused by the fact that first he got run. Secondly, he acted like he wanted to fight. If he wanted to go with somebody, he had that goalie. He had uh, the goalie right there in front of him. Yep. He could have just dropped the gloves. But, you know, and, and Carlson is a wuss anyway. So, I mean, who you, huh. you, you, and here, the other thing is this you pick on a team that had one major on the whole team before that night. So, and I think maybe they've had three since then or two since mm-hmm. then. They had one, obviously, with Kyle Clifford. But we're not talking about a, a rough and tumble team here that you're trying to get send a message to. They're a bunch of wusses. And I, I thought it was more showmanship that fans may have gotten a kick out of. But I think if you're San Jose, you're saying, you got to be kidding me, right? You, we just pumped four in, in, into you, and you, and you want to be mad at us? Throw right. in the fact that I didn't like the excuse where they were protecting him against San. It's San Jose. They're, I mean, they're not that good for you to be sitting uh, your 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 so-called number one goalie out right. because of what he did the previous game. What are they going to do? Start taking runs at him? They can't even run themselves. Right. So I, I just think that th- this is a team that needs a bucket of water in their face, a legitimate wake-up call, and maybe it's a trade. Maybe it's time to move somebody just to kind of let everybody know that, hey, you know, we, we've been patient, gone as far as we can go. We understand there's some injuries. But the, the thing that really I think you have to look at is when you have injuries, that means somebody else is going to get more minutes. That means the better players are going to play more. The younger players are going to get a chance to play. But you're relying on your better players. And quite frankly, there's some of the better players that aren't playing up to the expectation. You know, part of me wonders, of course, they lost Alex Petrangelo, Claves, and everyone talks about that. Alexander Steen done for his career. Jay Bowmeister done. You know, they moved on from Pat Maroon and Joel Edmondson. Part of me wonders if they're trying to build this new culture for the St. Louis Blues, and it's just not working. You know, they have Ryan O'Reilly, who is the captain. They have some of the long mainstay guys like a David Perron, some of the new guys that are taking that new identity, a Braden Shen, Jaden Schwartz. But you wonder if they're still kind of searching for this new identity and it's not clicking because we all can agree they went out there and they wanted to find guys who can move the puck faster. They wanted to be a quicker team rather than the heavy team that they were when they won the Stanley Cup. They bring in Tory Krug. They have Justin Falk. They bring in some of these younger guys but the problem for me is they're they're in this like purgatory of we want to be a faster team, but yet we have to play this heavy style if we want to be effective. And that 
is what's catching these guys off guard. You have some of the younger guys who are trying to play this faster game, some of the veteran guys who are trying to stick with this heavy, hard-nosed forecheck, and you're getting mixed signals and you're getting these turnovers because both sides are trying to understand what they're doing out there. Well, I, you know, I, I think how you fix that, you mix the lines up where you have a combination of both. Yeah. Um, you, you need speed on certain lines. You need a guy that's going to go in a corner and, and, and battle for a puck. You're going to need a guy who can either be a sniper or a guy who's willing to get in a dirty area. Uh, so you probably need to look at better line combinations to try and have both uh, where it suits the need. And, and let's face it, the great teams, the, the championship teams, one thing you can say about them all, they can play it any way you want to. Mm-hmm. And, and and the Blues are, are trying to find that identity of being able to play it any way you want to. Now, when they won the Cup, they, they could do that. I mean, their style, the heavy style you mentioned, was something that really forced the opposition to be able – they had the one – they were the ones who had to change. Uh, the Blues are, are changing at the opposition for all the wrong reasons. So I, I think it's more of an issue where you got to be more select in who plays with who, and you got to stay with it. I just don't think you can give them two shifts and then start juggling lines. I just think that creates too much uh, – too much confusion and, and too much lack of confidence in players. Well, and that's what's caught this team off guard, Claves. You know, they'll have one great period, then the period next drops off, and the next thing you know, they're trying to play this catch-up hockey where the other teams gained the momentum. Let me ask you this, because you 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 mentioned the forwards and how a lot of this responsibility kind of falls on their shoulders. You know, the reason the Blues were so good when they won that Stanley Cup was because their forwards could go out there and perform what they needed to do because they knew that they had Petrangelo and Pareko and Bo Meester on the back end and Bennington making the saves. When those aren't there and your goaltender isn't making the saves that, you know, are crazy saves that kind of puts the momentum back on your side – are the Blues at the point now where the forwards are overcompensating and they're 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 hesitant to play that that heavy forecheck because they know that they have to watch their own end because they don't have those saviors in Petrangelo and Bomeister and Pareko and Bennington back there. Well, that that's a good point. And to take it one step further, the Blues defense core of of uh, the last game against San San Jose, none of those guys mm-hmm. were on the Stanley Cup championship team. Think about yep. that. So it's a whole new group, and, and maybe those guys aren't sure. Um, and, and as you say, the forwards probably maybe either do a, either too much or in some cases not enough, and hence you have confusion between defense and forwards. Klebs, let me ask you this, because David Perron had himself a heck of a road trip. He had points in every game. So I went back and looked at this. He's got points in seven straight. He's got points in nine of his last ten games. Since the first two games of the regular season, I know this is a bunch of numbers, but it was really impressive. The first two games of the regular season, Perron went scoreless. From there, he had a point in every game except five of them. So 19 of 24 games, he scores a point. Eight of those 19, he had games with multiple points. I say all this because I think it's it's assumed that he's not going to be protected at this upcoming expansion draft. But David Perron, along with Vladimir Tarasenko, is one of your few pure goal scorers on your roster. I don't know if you can expense losing David Perron in this upcoming expansion draft. There's a lot of guys that I would leave unprotected before Perron. Yeah. And, and you're right about the, the maybe one of the better goal scorers that they have. And we haven't seen anybody 
in that next group of young players. I mean, Kyrie got out to a hot start. Uh, Thomas has been hurt. Costin, uh, Clem Costin, we haven't seen, and now he's hurt. Yep. And, and the forwards that they brought up have just been guys. And maybe if they moved up a line, maybe they would be more effective. But I, I think you're not in a position where you've got a kid sitting in the backyard waiting to just step in the National Hockey League and contribute. That that player isn't there. So you it would behoove you to to hold on to him. And I can give you three or four guys that I would make available for expansion before I would get to Perron. And I think you need Perron in terms of the culture. And we just talked a little bit about it, but like Perron is one of those guys that is always working on the ice, right? Like he's a, he's a Braden Shen. He goes out there. Now, look, he takes dumb penalties. They happen with David Perron on the ice, but he also was an effective power play guy. He's a guy who draws penalties, and he's a guy who really never stops working like a Braden Shen and a Jaden Schwartz and a Ryan O'Reilly. I think you need those guys because if you lose a David Perron, who steps up into one of those top wing positions? Who's a guy Haven't that seen can, it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Who scores you 25 goals in a season? Because I don't think you have one of those guys on your roster. No, you don't. And, and again, maybe it's Cairo, maybe it's Thomas at some point. Uh, but the guys that they've called up uh, recently haven't shown that skill set yet. But and, and as I said, maybe if they were on a top two line instead of a bottom for two line, maybe they'd be more effective with better players. But that's something that, you know, we just don't know enough about. And I don't think you're in a position to gamble at this point. So you, you probably sit on him. But I, like I said, if there's some guys that you, you're thinking about moving, uh, making it available, I got a few for you. Do you think they try and do, do that at, at some point? Because the trade deadline, it's an interesting one this season when it comes to getting guys and putting them in quarantine and making sure they're ready to go. But we've already seen a couple of names go off of the trade market, and I'm wondering if, if you think the Blues are going to be players in that. I think it really depends on what they can do cap-wise. I mean, you know, they're kind of maxed out on that front. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to have to move. You're, gonna, you're really looking to move salaries at this point. Yeah. Uh, this is like a hockey skill. trade. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those issues that if you're going to move a guy, the other team's got to be willing to, to take on that salary. And, you know, one, a lot of times at this time of the year, teams have fire sales to dump salary for next year as well. Mm -hmm. So they can be in good shape in order to go out in the free agent market. So, uh, you have to be very cagey about it. I think you have to look at what's really out there that's going to help you. And why is that player available other than just salary? Or right. if you say, well, if it's a bad team and they say the guy wants to try and be on a winning team. So now you got a ring chaser on your team, you know, right. and, and, and you can only have one or two of them. Everybody else has got to be more committed uh, than just chasing a ring because you have guys that do that and they, they really play for themselves more than they do the hockey team. Speaking of dumping salaries, I'm curious your thoughts on the Buffalo Sabres because, Claves, uh, this to me is is a nightmare in itself. Now they were it's going an through embarrassment. Is it, what is. it is. They were going through problems before they had the general manager change, and you know the own. They, they basically were having fans do picket lines outside the stadium because they were so pissed off at the ownership group and the management group. Now you're at the point where they've already moved on from Orion O'Reilly, who is one of the top centers in the game. And now they're getting to another point where they're going to possibly have to move on from another one of their draft picks in Jack Eichel. And the general managers having press conferences saying that, you know, they're considering everything in terms of trades and coaching changes and dealing with all of these cap issues. This is a team that just feels like they keep chasing their tail, but yet they don't realize that the tail's not there. 
Punch Imlac's turning over in his grave right now. And for <laughs> some of our, our much older viewers, they'll know who I'm talking about. But this is an organization that really has never recovered from the Brett Hull goal in overtime. Yeah. Think about it because they started moving guys right after that and you start with Hashik and some other guys over the course of time. So now all of a sudden they get themselves in the lottery as far as the draft and they get a good player in Eichel. Then they go out and get Taylor Hall. And they've got some other good young players on that team for them to give up at this point is really an embarrassment to the league because they're not there. And that's a good market too. remember. Mm. They, they used yeah. to have a great rivalry with Toronto, which isn't that far away. And they've, they squandered it all. And to say they're going to have another rebuild, I just don't think is going to work. Uh, I, I think ownership has got to step in and do the right thing instead of watching their kids play tennis and I think it's a situation that if they don't do it the right way, they should sell it and, and move on because this is not what Buffalo fans deserve. Uh, they support that team through thick and thin. And uh, to see how things are unfolding now, it, it's really unfortunate. It comes to a talent evaluation point, doesn't it, Clips? I mean, look, they're not afraid to spend money. They've thrown money at Taylor mm -hmm. Hall. They've thrown money at Jack Eichel. They've brought in Eric Stahl. They've made all of the moves. It comes down to talent evaluation and realizing that, hey, you're going to go out and sign a goaltender to be your number one guy in Carter Hutton, who we loved here in St. Louis, but was never going to be the number one guy, right? And, and isn't a number one guy. No. Yeah, I mean, he's a great backup. He's a great number two guy. He can give you 30, 35 games a year perhaps, but he's not a guy that in game seven you're going to throw out there. Not right. that he can't do it, but he just hasn't been used to doing it. So, you know, yeah, they made some bad decisions on that front. You, you know, you mentioned Eichel and Taylor Hall. Those are easy. I mean, Eichel's one of the best players in his right. draft year, and Taylor Hall is a guy that is as talented as anyone. But now you start to wonder why has he moved so much in the last three years. So there's a lot of things that go into it, and, and I think the way when you touch on talent evaluation, it's not how well he can skate, shoot, and score, but what kind of character does he have also. And remember, they, they kind of assured Eichel that they were going to build around him and get some other good players, and they did. They, yep. I mean, when they went and got a haul, but then they then they kind of dropped the ball on some other things. And, and you know, when you think about coaching and the general manager and everybody else, you, you wonder if they did the right thing in, in the, the current nucleus that they have, and I don't think they did. All right, speaking of characters, Claves, I, I, I can't wait to get your thoughts on this. Calgary Flames, they make the decision to do a coaching change midseason, and they bring back the uh, the longtime vet, Daryl Sutter, as the head coach. And I, I'm sure you've seen the video, his first practice. Of course, what's the grizzled vet going to do? He's going to bag skate these guys. What do you think? You know, Successful? when I saw it, no, I, I mean, I understand what he was trying to do. Because I think that the Calgary Flames kind of had a country club environment. They had a coach that they didn't really know and probably didn't deserve the opportunity at that time because he took over for a guy who basically had committed a heinous crime a few years ago. But when you look at Daryl Sutter, he, he is the ultimate old school coach. Now, that's one of the reasons why they won the cup. And that's one of the reasons why he's no longer coaching or he wasn't coaching because I'm not sure if that style – really works for everyone now and i think here's a comparison he and, he and craig berube played around the same time daryl's a little older than craig but bottom line is this craig berube is a hard-nosed guy hard-nosed coach hard-nosed player but he's found a middle ground on trusting guys or giving guys the opportunity to prove themselves 
mm-hmm. without the yelling and screaming and without the bag skating. And, and I'm sure he's wanted to do it. But let's face it, Alex, this is a new game. And guys, you know, there was a time when you would say, well, he's trying to save his legs. You don't want him to, you know, wear himself out. Uh, that's what they say now. In the old days, well, it'll put you in better shape. You'll be better conditioned. <laughs> you know, so it just depends on on what philosophy you believe in. But I also think Daryl Sutter's reputation of being in the National Hockey League gets around. And it only takes one or two guys in your dressing room to say, oh, boy. And you've got one guy say, oh, this is going to be hard. And another guy is going to check out. And the guy who checks out, he, he's more noticeable because he knows he can get traded to another team where he doesn't have to deal with a Sutter. And the, the whole notion of how Sutter will play games in the media with players uh, is something that some players just don't grasp. So I'll be anxious to see how this works. But I think this is more on the players than it is on the coach. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you got Goudreau, who I don't think has improved much since he got he gave himself a Johnny Hockey name. No. Uh, they've got some other players that have, have probably hit a ceiling or maybe, as Don Cherry would say, maybe reading the press clippings too much. Uh, and Brady Kachuk is one of them. I mean, they, they are a team that should be ready to take that next step, and yet they regress. Yeah, they have all the players in place. And, you know, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the Kachuk name because I'm curious if he's going to work with Daryl Sutter. I mean, look, Mark Giordano is a guy I think that can be successful as a captain because he's a longtime vet. But you got a lot of young players, a Matthew Kachuk, a Sean Monahan, a Johnny Goudreau. That's a different lifestyle. That's a different mentality from a head coach than what the players are accustomed to with their entire time in the NHL. Yeah, and, and that's that's a good point because, as you mentioned, Giordano uh, has played for enough coaches where he's got a feel. What is he, 34? Yeah. So he's near the end of the trail. But these other guys have not coached or not played for anyone who has had some sort of status, mm-hmm. who has been part of a championship. And, and, the, and the more you look at players today, the more they look to guys who have actually won something compared to trying to prove themselves as being a bona fide coach in the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, players want to you – know, and you can always use it, hey, I've been there and you haven't. So that's kind of the moniker you want to go by. But these young guys will challenge you and say, well, what makes you think you're better than, than somebody right. else? You know, so it's going to be a challenge. But you got to wonder if these guys are going to give Daryl Sutter a chance uh, so here's where ownership comes into play and says, hey, he's here. He's got a three year deal. I don't know about you, but he's going to be here for three years. Right. Kind of what kind of what would happen with uh, John Tortorella in Tampa Bay. Right. Like, hey, yeah. he's here because I, I, I've heard the story that Vinny LeCavier was just fed up with it. And the mm-hmm. owner basically said, hey, John Tortorella's here. Vin, Vince LeCavier is here. You guys better figure it out because nobody's going anywhere. Yeah. And they tried that recently in, in Columbus. Right. Uh, I don't think they've gotten the results that they'd hoped for. So, and I still think there may be a change there before it's over with. Yeah. Uh, they, they've letting too many good players go out the door. But again, we're talking about players who want to push back because that's all they know because they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. And, and that's the big problem we have in sports where a lot of players, they think that they're working hard and they're doing the right thing. And when you challenge them even more, you push them out of a comfort zone and then they want to push back and maybe they don't respond or maybe they quit on a coach or they ask to be traded. I mean, you've never seen an era in sports where we've had more players who've had more control over their destiny. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, 
you know, you, you're getting paid a lot of money and I get all that, but you want to go somewhere where you think you can be productive. And that used to be a hammer that players didn't have, but now they do because of the money that's involved. And, you know, nobody wants a deadweight player with a lot of money on the, on the payroll that they're not getting some sort of productivity from. So I say stay tuned. But my question to you, Alex, is who's the next generation of good young coaches? You know, I, I kind of look at guys. Well, I think you 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 have to have played. Uh, and I, and I, I hate saying that, but I think the guys like Steve Ott, I think Jim Montgomery might get another look at some point. I think those former players who kind of get today's player may have a better chance of, of communicating and working with them and being able to also bring an edge to themselves that maybe that player is in need of and just doesn't know it. Yeah, I mean, hockey is such an interesting sport, and you know this, Claves. You've been following a lot longer than I have. But the, the coaching, when it comes to player, when it comes to coaching the NHL, it's not so much about who's got the brilliant mind. It's more about how you communicate with your players and understanding how players work. Like that's what's made Craig Berube so successful, and that's why I truly believe Steve Ott's going to be successful because he understands the side of the game. He understands that mentality. Rod Brendamore is another great example out in Carolina. But then you look at the Buffalo Sabres who they, they hire a, a hockey guy, but it's a guy who, who maybe not, maybe isn't familiar with the, the culture that you're trying to build into a younger style of hockey. Like it's all about communication skills when it comes to hockey coaches, rather than just getting a guy who you know, played in the NHL for 15 years. They got to be able to 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 reach certain players if they want success. Well, you know what? If you're going to be a good coach, you have to you have to convince guys that if you play sound defensively, then you're going as as the great Gus Kyle, one of the first Blues analysts who played in the National Hockey League, used to say, if you're in defense, if you're in position defensively, you're going to be in better position offensively. Mm-hmm. And once you get guys to buy into that. Uh, and, and again, I don't need 20 Selkie trophy winners. OK, I just need a few guys to kind of lead by example right. and other guys can take on the other remaining responsibility. Uh, once you get guys to buy into playing in their end, they'll find themselves with more odd man rushes. They'll find themselves with better scoring opportunities. They'll find themselves being able to truly skate. And this is a skaters league now. There's no doubt about it. If you can't skate, you can't play. So it's one of those opportunities for coaches who can buy in and keep it simple. You have to keep it simple. If you don't think so, ask David Davis Payne if he had another shot in St. Louis, would he have simplified things a little bit more? Uh, and I think that's one of the things that Craig Garupi has done, kept it simple. And then there are even guys who aren't smart enough to pick that up. But I think you have to keep it simple and, and, and coach three, four players. Yeah. Coach your best players, and the other ones would follow. Right, hundred percent. Well, they got a big task coming up, Claves. You know, it's a two-game homestand against Vegas starting on Friday. They play Vegas Sat Friday and Saturday, then they head out onto the road. I think fourteen of their last thirty games are played on the road, but that really doesn't matter because basically all of April and the beginning of May before the playoffs start are against Vegas, Colorado, and Minnesota. I mean, if you wanted a test, if you wanted a task of making the postseason. It's going to come down to playing the best teams. And, and it's having, where, that's the way it should be. Right. Well, having here's, success against them. Here's the other thing. They've been horseshit at home. Okay? Yeah. So, you know, going on the road or going and staying at home, it doesn't make a difference. They haven't been very good at home. Right. Now, now they've had a few more fans in the building. I don't know if that's going to have an impact or not. 
But I, I, I think this is a team without a real base to to really build on. So maybe they might be better on the road. I don't know, but they're gonna have they're gonna find out. And as you mentioned, the schedule is not favorable as far as the Patsies are concerned. They've had their crack at them and they've been average. So now they're gonna have to play better teams. But I've always been a believer if you wanna be a champion, you're gonna have to play a good team. So the sooner you play them, the sooner you beat them and the sooner you move on. Yeah, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, we want that first uh, first place position in the division. So Give Colorado, me a break. I, I would rather be second or third to take on Colorado and Vegas because I don't know if I want to take on Arizona or L.A. or Minnesota well, in the we, first it, round. That's a great point. I mean, you, we've seen what that's look, that, that right. looks like. And what happens if you have to play catch up in one of those games and, and that team starts to really gain momentum? Uh, you're in, you're done. You you yeah. might as well be like you were against Vancouver last year, and I don't think anybody wants to go through that again. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see if they can kind of start figuring this out because, like I said, tough task against Vegas, and then you start a stretch of playing all of these teams to try and really get your head on straight, regardless if guys are coming back from injury or not. But again, it starts on Friday against the Vegas Golden Knights, and Klaibs and I will uh, will be back with next week to uh, react to that and get you set for the uh, the home stretch of the season. Uh, for the Blues to see if they can make the postseason. Claves, this has been fun, man. Love talking right, hockey man. with you. I'm glad you remembered who I am now that I got rid of the Grizzly <laughs> Adams look. Now you, you're rocking and rolling. And again, <laughs> congratulations and good luck on getting as much sleep as you possibly can. Thanks, buddy. The bags will start growing more and more as we talk. So <laughs> by postseason, it'll be pure adrenaline. All right, man. There you go. That's Mike Claiborne. I'm Alex Ferrario. Thanks for joining us on the Ferrario Face-Off. We'll talk to you next week right here at Claves Online.